G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. The 2020 Summer Series on Vision Christian Radio. Yeah, totally. I think uh, when people hear what we do, they say that must be really difficult. And yet uh, we don't find it difficult because one, they're topics of great interest. And two, you can present this message that is a really beautiful and awesome message in a way that captivates people. And so the main response we get from people is that they've really enjoyed the time with us. Um, just yesterday I was at a school in Brisbane and, and I heard one of the students as they left say, that was actually really fun. And so we have a fun time in, in talking about these really deep and sometimes challenging topics. Um, the other bit of feedback we get is, is that this was not what we expected and that people feel encouraged and sometimes really um, transformed and I suppose supported in their own experiences um, because a lot of people will have experiences that are negative when it comes to this topic and um, those negative experiences can shape their their understanding of the topic and then when they can see that there's reasons for why they felt the way they have and, and reasons for, for the heartbreak they've experienced and that there is a better plan, then that can actually be a real consolation and a real encouragement for them as well. We mentioned that young people and all people are bombarded by, you know, the Hollywood impressions we might get from ideas about sex and relationships and what's happening on television, what's happening in social media. Uh, the idea of real talk, of getting real on issues of sex and relationships, and I know you like to talk about personal identity too, and we might uh, we might unpack that a little bit more. But this idea of getting real, uh, young people can see through facades, and when you, as a Christian leader, are talking about sex and relationships uh, in real talk, I mean, we've got a pretty strong foundation on which we stand, don't we, as Christian believers? Yeah, totally. Um, I think, you know, even the idea of marriage and, and um, uh, the institution of marriage that, that has been passed on for, for millennia, uh, whilst it's not necessarily a Christian institution, the Christian uh, worldview brings a lot to what people have understood in that. And, and um, these are not new concepts. They're not new ideas. In some ways, they're, they're tried and tested and, and often uh, the most steadfast way to produce a good society and, and to lead to uh, happiness. And, and really, the, the, uh, the family unit is very much the pillar of society and is very much the building block of healthy society. And so the concepts of marriage and sex and family have been in- essential ingredients for, for uh, many, many millennia. Okay, let's talk about the attitudes of young people because, you know, as your uh, team is addressing as many as 40,000 young people in the course of a year, uh, you've got the Q&A sessions. I'm not sure how formal you get with the sorts of feedback that young people might bring or whether you reflect on, you know, the sorts of statistics that people will come out with from time to time when they've done studies on these things. But yeah. if you're trying to get an idea, what's the reality of what young people are talking about? with regards to sexual behaviours. What's your impression, Paul? Yeah, look, our impression is that um, you get a whole um, wide gamut of, of 
people's experiences and you know personal beliefs and sometimes there's real disconnect between young people and their parents and young people and their teachers um, as you mentioned social media and just the rise of the internet over the last couple of decades has meant that by far the digital communication networks are the main way that people are receiving education when it comes to relationships and sex and marriage and so many people's um, views and their, their vision in some ways for healthy relationships comes from um, these media and these mediums that often present it in a, um, I suppose, a, a different way. They might have a, a different driving force behind why they're presenting that message. And so a, a big one when it comes to that is the topic of pornography is a huge part of what is forming culture, um, sometimes directly and, and most commonly through a direct experience of pornography. Um, and I, I've got stats around that if you'd like to talk about that. But also just through a, a, a almost like a passive smoking kind of effect through pornography, it's um, it's leading to a culture change and a, and a hypersexualization of culture that we're all living in, whether we're accessing that sort of um, uh, view of of sex or not. Interesting when you talk about a passive smoking effect. Let's take a few moments to just reflect on that because pornography, a lot of parents will be saying, I'm doing my best to protect my child or my young teen from pornography, hoping that they're going to have a good, sound foundation for understanding sex and relationships. But as you say, there's a, there's a passive smoking effect. Uh, because every young person is going to be affected because there are a huge swathe of young people in no matter what group uh, who are mm. going to be affected by pornography and it's going to affect the group attitudes. Uh, mm. How do you reflect on this sort of passive smoking effect? Yeah, totally. Um, I was with a school yesterday, a Christian school yesterday, and we had a bit of a Q&A. And we don't regularly do Q&As just because we, we often have whole year levels that we present to, and it's, it's not a forum that's always best. Um, but at this particular school, there was a Q&A, and there are a number of questions that came up, and I, I won't um, you know, give details on the radio. Um, it wouldn't be appropriate. But a number of questions that came up that were clearly linked to ideas that have come from pornography. So whether or not uh, the people I was speaking to had seen porn or, what, or just the concepts around sexual behaviours. And I was able to, in answering those questions, link the two and say, look, there's nothing wrong with asking this question and there's nothing wrong with even having desires in this way, but we do need to sometimes question why are our behaviours and our desires moving in that direction and is that best or is that a script that has come from uh, the sexualization of culture and, and, and the, the spread of pornography through the digital medium. And so, um, you know, that's a classic example that, that there are questions that people are having about, am I okay and should I be doing this? And is this what's normal? And those questions have been um, formed by opinions and, and visions and, and um, uh, pictures that for many generations people would never have ever had access to. So we're having young people seeing things that our grandparents wouldn't have dreamed of seeing and probably couldn't have even conceived. And so whether that's a person seeing it directly or that's something their friend has seen and then brings up as a concept in the playground, that's um, the kind of passive smoking effect that we're having a cultural sway or a cultural movement in certain directions. And, and sexual behaviours would, um, would back that up. One bit of research out of America found that uh, particularly young women are judging how good sex was not based on how connected they are to the other person or not based on even the pleasure that they've experienced but more and more there's a move towards 
judging how good sex was on whether you actually provided a PSE, a porn star effect, so that whether you did the things that they do in porn well. Uh, and in some ways, that's, that's tragic, that sex is moving away from uh, a loving, connecting, beautiful, enjoyable experience towards something that is just about performing and pleasing the other person. There's a question of authority here, Paul, because uh, when you say uh, young people have something of a disconnect uh, between their parents and then there's a young people disconnect uh, to their teachers, there's almost a, uh, a scepticism, a cynicism about what authority might be trying to force upon them. And so then you've got this prevailing culture uh, uh, through the internet, through social media. Uh, it is a, a, a significant thing that there might be a question of authority. And so you turn up with real talk and uh, in a single session you say something sensible and substantial uh, and you hope that what you say sticks uh, and I guess there needs to be a whole lot more of it. But but young people are clearly responsive and they're like sponges, aren't they? They're receiving everything, trying to make sense of the world that they're growing up in. Totally. And, and look, I think we sometimes don't give enough credit to young people and, and, and enough credit to ourselves and, and how we're created to be. And, and by that I mean, I think we all have the truth written with, within us. We all have the truth written in our human experience to some degree and we, we yearn for truth and we recognize it and so sometimes it's actually not uh, that difficult when you present uh, the truth of how sex was meant to be experienced for someone it resonates with them partly because they recognize the lack of truth in their previous experience and, and um, you know I think of different people but, but you know really close to home my wife went to a conference when she was just 14 or 15 and, and, a, and a newly married couple got up in front of her and um, they just shared about the gift of sex and the beauty of marriage and how they'd made a decision to treat sex like it was a gift for marriage. And for my wife at the time, this was a countercultural message and something she'd never heard. Um, she grew up in a, in, a, in a Christian home, but she'd just never heard someone testify or witness to that particular message she shares that she looked around the room just thinking that everyone else must think this is weird, <laughs> what they were saying, that this concept was bizarre, and she just she didn't know where to place herself. And so she just listened, and by the end of that one-hour talk, she'd made a decision that she wanted to live differently than how her friends were living. And uh, she was going down a path that most of her friends were going down, treating you know um, intimacy with people like it was uh, not special. And she made a decision in that one-hour that was a really firm decision that she ended up sticking by right through to basically our wedding. And so, you know, that's an example, a great story of how one one-hour session can um, change a life. And, and, and we've got people in our organisation who actually present for us now who had their sort of conversion moments through seeing our organisation five or six years ago and, and they had the same sort of experience. One talk literally changed the direction of, of their life. A biblical perspective of life, culture and current events. The 2020 Summer Series on Vision. Yeah, totally. There's no instruction manual on how to be a good parent or no complete instruction manual and, and it's hard. And I thank God that I'm in this sort of uh, space that, that equips me to, to answer difficult questions and to preempt um, perhaps things that are going to happen. And, and the classic one is, as we mentioned before the break, is that a lot of young people, nearly every young person, will be exposed to graphic sexual content um, the way that society is travelling at the moment. And, and I encourage parents, and, and this is a jaw-drop moment when I say this, but I encourage parents to talk to their young people about pornography before their young people have access to Wi-Fi. 
And uh, I then go on to qualify that by saying, um, talking to a young person about pornography doesn't mean that you have to even mention pornography. Uh, and the classic example I have from my own life was that I was uh, just laying down on, on a couch outside my house one day and something popped up on my phone. Uh, I was on something like Gumtree and some, somehow a link, I clicked on a link and the next thing I know there's images on my, um, on my phone that I didn't want to look at. And I turned to my wife and I said, look what just popped up. And my five-year-old daughter at the time said, oh, daddy, show me, show me. I want to see, show me. And I said, no, no, no. And she said, show me. And, and kids do this. And I caught myself in that moment um, doing what I think most parents do, and that's let's hide anything that's potentially harmful from our young people rather than embracing a teachable moment. And so I changed my tack and I said to my daughter, I said, oh, look, something popped up on my screen that was not good for daddy to see. It was something showing people's private parts in a way that, that I didn't want to see and that wasn't right. And so I showed mummy and I took it off the screen. And you know what? If that happens to you, when that happens to you, I want you to do the same thing. You're not in trouble. You just show mummy and take it off the screen. And uh, you're not in trouble if you ever see something like that. But this is what you can do. And so there was this great opportunity to model a pathway for when my daughter sees something that's inappropriate and also to try to reduce the shame that potentially could be heaped on her when she sees that, which is obviously one of the things that uh, is really damaging for young people is that they feel shame when they see pornography, whether it's by choice or, or not. So if it's not good for daddy and it's not good for mummy, then children will appreciate that it's not going to be good for them either. There is going to be, isn't there, uh, the sense of when the child gets a little older and uh, there is that access uh, to pornography and whether it's accidental or whether it's shared in the school playground as oftentimes happens or they're visiting friends and uh, mm. and these encounters happen uh, mm-hmm. that that in in some sense here uh, you've got uh, this it's idea of experimentation mm. uh, and it's, I'm probably talking more to the older uh, teenage years here but uh, yeah. but children are likely to experiment and if you haven't had that grounding earlier, then the experimentation has no real confines. It has nothing to contain it. What are your thoughts yeah. on, on what children and teenagers will be doing with experimentation when it comes to pornography and then further on into other developing sexual and relationship contexts? Yeah, well, look, you know, statistically, and, and what most experts say is that the average age of exposure is currently about age 11. There's different research out there, but th- that's certainly a bit of a consensus that it happens at about this age. Now, it can happen younger. Um, I was speaking with uh, uh, some teachers recently who were about teaching grade three, and they had some students who had clearly seen pornography um, at that age. Um, the other thing to say on this is, as, the, as the teenagers get older is that they do actually listen to the parents. Uh, a lot of parents think, and maybe the, t- the teenagers might say, hey, we don't care what you think, we're not listening to you. They might even say half the things that, like than that. But again, the research is really clear that a young person, a teenager's perceived belief of what the parents believe actually affects their behaviours. And that any parent that is willing to have conversations about sex, that single factor alone delays the sexual debut of a young person. And so I encourage parents, even if the conversations are difficult, if they don't know what to say, just say anything because the research is clear. Saying anything helps. And even if your young person thinks, a young person thinks what their caregiver believes, they're more likely to follow in that. And so that's, again, 
an opportunity and encouragement for, for parents. Um, as far as the behaviours of teenagers, um, again, there's, there's lots of different research out there. Some, tragically, some, some uh, uh, research has just come out of Victoria and um, they only had a small sample size and it was opt-in. So, so sometimes you've just got to take every bit of research with a grain of salt. But they found that in the young adult population in Australia, they sampled 1,000 people and 8 out of 10 of the young adult males regularly viewed porn, so daily or weekly, and um, two out of ten of the young adult females regularly viewed porn, so um, daily or weekly. And so they're the sort of numbers we're talking about and um, they're the sort of um, challenges that we're facing. And that, as you said, does flow on to um, behaviours and also expectations and perceptions of sex. And, and the classic one that the research has found quite clearly is, is how young males perceive and um, approach women when it comes to violence. So those that have seen more porn are more likely to be okay with violent sexual behaviours against women and, and speak of women in a more misogynistic way and that's you know, um, tragic as we're seeing um, in society at the moment. Yeah, let's just uh, reflect for just a few more moments on this issue of shame because uh, you've mentioned it a number of times Paul mm-hmm. and uh, when you are exposed to some of these things that we would say are shameful uh, then uh, we've been talking about you know how pornography uh, dehumanizes uh, but when we're exposed to things that are shameful or do things that are shameful uh, you say this is what makes us feel as though that we are bad now as i understand the way that shame works uh, when we feel bad and we feel not important not valued we're undervalued then because we feel undervalued, we try to then pursue those things that have caused us shame in the first place uh, and they become even more attractive. Uh, what are your thoughts on just the way, just if you don't deal with that shame, sometimes you're on a treadmill and uh, there's no real end in sight for, for some of the challenges we face? Mm. Yeah, look, look, totally. I think that the research around sexual abuse sort of backs that up, that so often people who are abused become abusers, and, and it's, it's tragic. It's this generational um, uh, burden and blockage and heaviness that can be passed on. And, and I think, obviously, um, you know, uh, what shame does is it puts things in the shadows, and a lot can go on in the dark, quite literally, you know? And, and so I think by bringing it out into light, by asking for forgiveness, by seeking guidance and speaking truth over our lives and over other people's lives, it, uh, it helps highlight the dignity and, and the, uh, the truth of what occurred. And time and time again, we'll speak to someone who's had something occur to them um, or has made a choice that they really, um, uh, really didn't have many options around. They, they, they had a lifestyle or what have you that led them down a path and... and and so often they can carry the burden of that and, uh, and going to God and asking for forgiveness, but also um, teaching that person about the goodness of themselves and also freeing them from the lies that they've believed about themselves in making those choices um, is just just a, a weight off. And you know, I see it in my life, I see it in people's lives, and you can literally see it, a person change in one session of uh, conversation or one session of prayer. And it's, uh, it can be... It can be um, so dramatic that it changes our whole person's outlook and, and future and i think this topic is so important for that reason it's um you know i think if you look you look at this topic you can see how things that are really good are often most profaned and most messed with and and i think that's because 
Uh, the enemy doesn't create good things. The enemy just distorts good things and makes them do something that's, that's less than good. And we see that all the time in this topic. You know, just a couple of minutes remaining for our conversation. And there's so much more we could talk about. But just to pick up on one thing and just to we'll need a, just a brief answer, Paul, but this idea of parents who might be of, uh, you know, reflecting on their own life and uh, the way that they were perhaps not shaped in the way that we're talking about today in their own relationships. They haven't got the runs on the board themselves. They feel inadequate and they even feel ashamed uh, when it comes to teaching good and right things to their children. Is there, and you mentioned, you know, sometimes you can pray with people or you can be involved with uh, couples and you can put a line under that. You can start afresh. I mean, this is mm. where the power of God comes in. Your, mm. your thoughts just quickly on starting afresh and uh, and bringing in a new freshness into the way you, as a parent, communicate to your children. Yeah, totally. Well, I think you basically nailed it. It starts with a person, the parent themselves, actually looking at themselves and their own attitudes to this topic and reminding themselves that uh, God is good, I am good, and, and sex is good. And so it's it's naming that sometimes we can live under a banner of sex being dirty and, and, and we may have been brought up in that way or, or perhaps our experiences. Starting with that as parents is going, hey, do I myself feel adequately um, free from the, the burdens and the mistakes I've made and am I well formed and do I get the vision in this? So I think for anyone leading anyone else, they need to be captured by the vision and the goodness and the truth of the message before they can impart that on others. And so I'd encourage parents out there to have a conversation, uh, to have a conversation with their, their pastor, their leader, and also their partner about this topic and see what can I do in my life for greater healing and also um, how can I set myself up for the win in how I parent my young person. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.